Today is the final week of our series for the month of May called Selfless. Say it one time real loud. For the past couple months, all of the messages that we've been talking about have been about generosity and selflessness. That's been the theme. And at the end of the first series, there was a call to action with red envelopes and a reverse offering. Remember that? We, we talked about it, and then we actually put it into action. We talked about it, and then we acted on it. Well, this series is going to be no different. It's going to be just the same, all right? No, we're not giving away red envelopes. I'm sorry. Some of y'all got really excited about that. That would mean you have two red envelopes still hanging out in your purse. <laughs> but instead, this time, since we've been talking about selflessness and serving the world around us, today we're going to have an opportunity to step up to the plate and make it happen in a real way. Our discussion on selflessness and serving the world around us is going to culminate in an incredible opportunity at the end of this service to take some action and get plugged in to an impact team. And listen, listen, it's one thing to talk about it, okay? It's one thing to say, I like Summit Church. It's one thing to tell your friends how cool of a church it is. It's one thing to, to like a post on Facebook but it's, or Instagram, but, it, but it's, it's something else entirely to be about it, okay? Endorsement and action are not the same thing, all right? A digital affirmation on Instagram is one thing, but actually coming into the house of the Lord and putting in the work, that is something else. But that is how a church continues to grow. That's how a church thrives and multiplies. It's how it gets stronger and goes deeper, not just YouTube videos and Facebook posts. Are you with me so far? God's people not just talking about it, but taking action. Have you ever heard of the term rhetoric? Anybody? I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure we all hear the term rhetoric. We hear it all the time on the news. Rhetoric is a series uh, or a group uh, or a category of words that by their very nature, they're designed to paint a picture that the speaker wants you to see. And it's everywhere. Rhetoric is on both sides of the aisle. It's in between, in the middle, far off and far left. It's everywhere. Rhetoric is everywhere. And the whole idea of these words is that they aim to shape and influence the narrative regardless of its alignment with reality. Okay, that's rhetoric. Let me give you an example. Uh, have you heard of wealth redistribution? Maybe. Okay, here we go. It sounds nice when you, when you hear wealth redistribution. It sounds like the government is going to take a bunch of their wealth and give it to the poor. But that, that isn't what it means at all. It, it actually means that the government is going to take more of your money and give it to people who don't want to work. They say wealth redistribution, but what they mean is socialism. You see, they said one thing, but they aren't actually going to do that thing. That is rhetoric. You with me so far? Okay, here's another one. Let me give you another one. Education reform. I hear this all the time, okay, and I agree, I could not agree more, that our education system needs reform, it needs God in a big, big way. It does. And listen to me, if you're a teacher in here or you're involved in the public school system, and I know there's a lot of them, a lot of you in here, we love you, we support you, we are here to encourage you and pray with you as you go out to the front lines and speak truth into these kids' lives. Your job matters. It's important, it really is, but it's not an easy job. But even so, I think that every teacher in this room or watching online would agree that our education system needs a reformation of biblical proportions, figuratively and literally. You see, the government says 
reformation, which suggests that there will be an improvement in something, but they don't actually aim to improve anything. They don't want a better education system. They want a more productive indoctrination system. There's a difference. The two are not the same. You see, they say one thing, but they're never going to lift a finger or spend a cent to make that thing happen. That is rhetoric. Empty words and empty promises. You say, you say one thing, but there's actually nothing behind it. It's almost like smoke and mirrors. And y'all, I have to tell you something. There is also rhetoric uh, within the church. It's here. It's right here. Not just this church, although it is. I'm talking about the big church, like the, the God's kingdom that he's establishing here on earth. There are people that use rhetoric in the church. Let me, let me, uh, let me uh, give you an example. Some Christians will say something that makes them sound committed, but they don't actually do what commitment calls for. Okay, check this out. I get this one a lot. You ready? I'm coming for somebody right now. Don't get offended. Don't leave. If you stand up and leave right now, I'm just going to assume I upset you. I get this one a lot. I hear this a lot. I'm waiting on the Lord before I get involved. I love the church. I want to be involved with the church. I want to use my gifts and talents and resources, but I haven't heard from the Lord. And it's good that you're praying about it. I appreciate you being methodical and pragmatic. But my question is, what exactly are you waiting to hear? Something like, go into all the nations and spread the gospel. Something like, give of your means to support the church. Or, bless the broken, feed the hungry, pray for the weak. What exactly is it that you're waiting, waiting to hear? The word that I read says, whatever you do, suggesting that we have decision-making power in this. It says, whatever you do in word or deed, do it for the Lord. Do it unto the Lord. That means just put your hand to the plow. It's almost like Jesus is less concerned with what you're doing and more concerned that you're actually doing something. Uh-oh. Here's one. Here's why I like this one. When it comes to reasons people don't serve or get involved in their church, this is a big one. I hear this quite frequently as well. I've been hurt in church before. I was a victim of church hurt. And this is one of the most common reasons, all seriousness, this is one of the most common reasons why people do not go to or get involved in a church. And I hear it all the time, church hurt. And I'm going to say something that might surprise you, and some of you may be shocked by it, uh, but here it is. I do not believe in church hurt. I do not buy into it. I think it's something we've created. I don't believe in church hurt. Here's what I do believe. I believe that people hurt. I believe that words hurt, and I believe that actions hurt. I believe all those things. But church just so happens to have people that use the wrong words and takes the wrong action. But that's life, and it's not just in church. It's everywhere. Have you ever been hurt at work? Do you just leave and never go back to work? Some of y'all do. It, yeah, I saw some of your faces like, yeah, I did that. In fact, ain't worked since. That's a problem. <laughs> Have you ever been hurt at home? Do you just leave your home and find another home to go to? There's work hurt. There's school hurt. There's family hurt. There's house hurt. Some of y'all experienced car hurt in the parking lot before church this morning. The truth is life hurts. 
It's not just within the church. Yes, it is easy sometimes to come into church and be offended. I understand that. And it really does happen. People have been hurt badly in churches, but people have been hurt badly everywhere. Jesus said in his word, you will have trouble of many kinds, including at church. It will happen. But that doesn't mean that you stop doing something because of it. Too many people blame Jesus and his church for the actions of a few of its members. Okay, here's another one. This last one I'm going to give about not coming to church or not getting plugged into church. Rhetoric. Listen, I hope you guys are with me on this one. I would have come to church, but I had a long week. Doggone. <laughs> like, like, I would have been there. I'm coming for somebody right now. I've, I hope you don't have your soft ears on right now because I'm about to speak a hard truth. I would have come to church... But the baby was, didn't sleep well last night. The, didn't sleep well last night. I would have come to church, but we're just not feeling well. You know, just out, you know, just not feeling very good. I want to tell you something. Out of love, I say this. My wife has been coming to church together for seven years, and we have missed approximately two Sundays in seven years. And I don't say that braggadociously or anything like that, but I want to tell you that from the beginning, we determined in our hearts that God's house is a priority. And Sunday mornings are for the Lord without excuse. And the reason that people don't serve, the reason that we have commitment issues within the church and everywhere else is because people will say, I just don't feel good. This happened. There's an excuse for everything. I can't tell you how many people see me in public that didn't come to church the week before. And they immediately start to tell me why they weren't at church. Like, honestly, I didn't even know that. Like, you didn't have to say that. I'm not taking attendance here. Like, I didn't know. And 90% of the time, it is an excuse. 98% of the time, it's just an excuse. You found a way to find an excuse. Very rarely does somebody hobble up to me and say, hey, sorry I couldn't be at church last Sunday. I had my leg cut off. <laughs> couldn't be there. Sorry. That's, that's a good excuse. That's a good reason. Stay at home. Take two Sundays off. Like, it's good. Listen, I don't have kids. Some of you parents out there thinking, what's this guy know about babies? And nothing is the answer. I don't have kids yet. And I know raising a family is hard and work is hard and you're tired and life is tough. I get that, but that's life. You either have to get over it or find a way around it. You can't stay where you are. Because when you decide not to do something based solely on the way you are feeling, you are actually saying that your feelings are more important than God's commands. That's just the truth. That's the truth. Hebrews says, do not. The word of God says do not it, it doesn't say please don't it says do not forsake the meeting together do not forsake my house as some of you are starting to do do not do it but we come up with an excuse to do it anyway and if some of y'all didn't show up for work like you don't show up for your for church you wouldn't have a job you would not have a job let me ask you a question what if god gave you the same amount of time that you give him? Here's another question. What if, what, if, what if you could only rely on God's word as much as he could rely on yours? Uh-oh. 
hear me this morning. Hear this part. If you're taking notes, this is the part you write. If you're watching online, welcome to church. If you're taking notes, write this down. If it's important, you make a way. If it's not, you make an excuse. That's all there is to it. It, It's that simple. If it's important, you make a way. If it's not, you make an excuse. And the world used to understand that. Back when times were harder and you had to be tougher to survive, people held themselves to a higher moral standard. But now there are excuses everywhere and in everything. And listen to me. We do not have time for excuses, y'all. Jesus is coming back. He is closer now than ever before. Okay? There are people headed straight for hell for an eternity, but we're too tired to come to church. We just don't feel good. Not really in my mojo this week, couldn't get into the word. People are going to hell, y'all. There's no more time for excuses. That is Christian rhetoric. Y'all with me?